I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Buck Sexton, and you're listening to the Tudor Dixon Podcast, part of the Clay Travers and Buck Sexton Podcast Network. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. I'm Tudor Dixon, and I am so glad you're joining me today. I'm really excited because today I'm joined by the guy who made this entire podcast possible. After the campaign, I was like, I don't really know what my next step is. And Clay Travis called me. He was like, you should do a podcast. And I honestly, in that moment, was like, yeah. I'm not sure about that, but he was pretty persistent and convinced me. I got to see his whole studio. It was the best decision I could have made because I get to talk to you every day. And so today we're going to talk to Clay, but before I bring him in, I want to tell you about this great product I have in my home called EnviroCleanse. When you think about an air purifier in your house, ask yourself if all air purifiers are the same, why did the U.S. Department of Defense select EnviroCleanse to protect and purify the air on board our Navy ships? Listen, we use it in our house because one of my girls suffers from severe seasonal allergies and this has changed her life. No more headaches or swollen eyes. She doesn't wake up with bloody noses. It's awesome. EnviroCleanse uses patented earthed mineral technology and a hospital-grade HEPA filter. This technology is so powerful, it actually destroys cold and flu viruses, COVID, allergy-inflaming toxins, mold, and even more. Their hospital-grade technology is so powerful. Like I said, it's used on Navy ships and in thousands of classrooms. The EnviroCleanse promise is far fewer colds and allergies and better sleep. And you're going to receive a free air quality monitor with your purchase. Honestly, test the difference in your home. Visit ekpure.com and use code Dixon for 10% off your EnviroCleanse home air purifier unit and free air quality monitor plus fast free shipping. That's $150 savings. And I'm telling you, I use it. It's worth it. Don't forget this. It's ekpure.com code Dixon. 
ekpure.com code Dixon. All right, now let's bring Clay Travis into the podcast. Clay is the founder and president of Outkick. You can catch him on the radio every weekday from 12 to 3 p.m. Eastern on the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show. And he is the author of his latest book, American Playbook, A Guide to Winning Back the Country from the Democrats, which we both agree we need to do. Thank you, Clay, so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Congrats on the success. What is it? A million people every month downloading your podcast now, like right out of the gate. That is absolutely incredible. I knew you'd be good at this. uh, And so thanks for proving me right. Um, and, And thanks for doing such good work. Thanks for convincing me because it's because of you that I'm here. And I know it's all your help that has helped me get these listeners. So thank you so much for that. And we have a lot to jump into because there's so much going on. I wanted to bring up something to you because I knew you would have an opinion on it, but I might have a little bit of a different opinion on it than you. So Biden was in the news a couple of days ago because he came out and he said in a very angry tone, don't bet against America. People were saying, you know, oh, the the country's going the wrong direction. He's like, we have never had something that we set out to accomplish that we have not done. Do not bet against America. Now, he comes off really angry, like awkwardly angry, angry in this. But I think that this is the winning message from Democrats because they're just like, we're not doing anything wrong. It's all good. How do they get away with it? I think, one, they have a lot of economically illiterate people um, and uh, and business illiterate. And, and, and I think that's a big challenge here because it wasn't that long ago, Tudor, that Democrats actually made sense. I mean, Bill Clinton balanced the budget. Uh, there were a lot of pro-business Democrats out there. And unfortunately, I think the AOC Bernie Sanders wing of the party has emerged ascendant. And I just don't think they understand basic business concepts. And that really kind of crystallized. Do you remember when AOC fought against Amazon putting a headquarters in, I think it was Queens, uh, in her district, a part of her district? Uh, And she didn't seem to understand how tax incentives worked and that the tax incentives didn't exist unless the jobs were there uh, and uh, and how you balance out, you know, a city and a state making a decision. And even the governor uh, who was uh, who was Democrat at the time, uh, Cuomo, came out and said she doesn't really understand basic business. And I I think that's unfortunately true. Um, And so. What they're going to try to do, Tudor, I think, is they're going to focus on where inflation is right now. And this is important. And I think your listeners and your viewers will understand this. But I know you, as a mom of four, understand this. I'll give you an example. Last night, uh, we finished seventh grade football. Uh, We went through Chick-fil-A after the game uh, to get food for me and uh, the three boys and my wife. And it was over $55. Chick-fil-A, right. you know, we're not sitting down for like a meal where we have a waiter and a waitress. We're just going through Chick-fil-A and it's over $55 and inflation may be 3% right now, but it's 3% built on top of the 9%. You never get to unring that bell. So when you're looking around and you're like, man, it seems like every time I go to the grocery store, I'm paying 20% more. Or every time I go through a fast food drive through like I don't remember ever paying $50 to go to a, a fast food shop uh, drive through And so uh, all of this is stacking on top of each other. And Tudor, yesterday or the day before, we also hit a 22-year high on mortgage rates. And Biden is bragging and saying, well, I promised I was never going to raise taxes on anyone making under $400,000 a year, which is the vast majority of the American population. 
But inflation is a default tax on the poor because you feel it coming out of your pocket when you live paycheck to paycheck and you have to spend all your money to live. And if you're fortunate enough to be buying a home, a 7.16% interest we were at 20-year uh, mortgage lows when Joe Biden came into office. We're now at 20-year highs. I guarantee you, Tudor, there are people listening to us right now who bought a home four or five years ago. They now have one kid or two kids. They might want to move into a new school district because their kid's about to start in kindergarten, but they can't afford to leave the house that they have now because they can't afford the new payment with a 7.16% interest rate uh, going forward for the next 30 years. So the reality of the economic life that people feel in Michigan, where you are, in Tennessee, where I am, it's very different than what the Bidens are selling. But a lot of people are willing to suspend belief because they bought into the idea that Joe Biden was going to make America uh, better and bring us back to normalcy and decency. He's failed on all that. But they have to believe that lie. And so they don't pay attention to what the actual data and their life shows them. That's my that's so my. you bring you bring up an interesting point on the mortgage rates. So in your playbook, I'm, I'm going to ask you this because you you have this plan to win this back. You have a bunch of young people. They so I, I find something funny because when we were like six months into the Biden presidency. I was working with some young kids and a lot of them were, were liberals. They had voted for Joe Biden and they said, Hey, um, when do you think my loan's going to get re- released? Like when are, when am I, when am I going to get released from my student loan? And I, <laughs> and I laughed and I was like, you're not. So what do you mean? No, no, Joe Biden promised that. And it struck me that the only people the, these young adults had ever seen as president was Donald Trump. And he actually kept those promises. And I'm like, oh, no, no, honey, they don't usually keep the promises. So you're not getting your money back. And I think it's going to be a rude awakening for these young people today, because a lot of these kids in their 20s and early 30s said, I'm going to spend my money on vacations. I've got to be Instagram famous. I've got to go to all these places. And I'm not going to save for a house because interest rates are so low. When I get to it, I get to it. This is going to be a huge shock for these people now who are saying, I want to buy my first home. And it is going to be so much more expensive than they could ever have imagined. So in your playbook, what is the message to young people? Because I don't think the message is your life sucks. It has to be we're going to make your life better somehow. But we seem to be the the party that's like, this is why it all sucks. Yeah. But how do we say this is what we're going to make it? we're going to do to make it better. So what I hammer home, particularly to young people, like if I, so I think all the time, cause I've got a 15, a 12 and an eight year old, uh, three boys. And I think all the time about what their world is going to be like. And, and like any parent, you're trying to instill some form of values in them. But what I tell them and their friends when they're running around the house and everything else, and I don't know how much attention they actually pay to me because dad's always, you know, like everybody, every kid, every generation throughout history thinks their parents are clueless and their parents' friends are clueless and everything else. And then you get a little bit older and you're like, actually, you know, uh, they were making a little bit of sense. Um, So what I say is, and I think this goes for boys, girls, I I think anybody out there, I wish every 12 year old in America was told this and it was hammered home again and again and again. Uh, You are responsible for your own individual success or failure. You, uh, the only hand you can rely on is the one at the end of your sleeve. Now, 
there are lots of great people out there and they may give you good advice or give you good opportunities and everything else. But ultimately, you're responsible for your own success, your work ethic, your showing up, your being. But today, people like the fact that the Democrats are saying you don't have to be responsible. So how do you run against that message when the Democrats are saying, don't worry, we're waiving that responsibility? So I think what's interesting is I think these kids are now starting to realize that some of the things that they have been told are not actually true. And certainly coming out of COVID, that is like that there's in the back of their mind, there's something like, well, this is not resonating with my life experience. So what I say, Tudor, is four things. If you graduate from high school, uh, if you uh, get married eventually, if you get a job, and if you don't have your first child until you're 25 years old, those four things. People obviously can make their own life choices. They can do different things. But what the data reflects is no matter how low on the socioeconomic scale you are, no matter how much your mom, dad makes, no matter who you live with, it could be grandma and grandpa, anybody else, graduate high school, get married, uh, get a job. And and obviously the order can vary. Uh, You should get a job probably before you get married. But don't have a kid until 25. Your poverty rate in America is zero. Think about how incredible that is. If you just do those four things. Now, look, I hope you go off and you become a doctor or a lawyer or you uh, run for governor of, uh, of Michigan. I'd love for you <laughs> to be higher than that. Found businesses do do amazing things. Those are just those are just the lim- the limit. If you if you meet these few standards, then and that doesn't mean you have to be married before 25. Those are just things saying and I think that Anybody is been in a America con- can do them. Doesn't matter where you start. I think boys in particular need aspirational goals. Uh, I think girls do mm-hmm. too, but I feel like a lot of boys are falling behind. And so they need competition. They need something to push them. Uh, this is why I fought so hard for schools to reopen in many ways, because I knew a lot of boys that would have never gone to high school and graduated if they didn't have a sports team to play on. Right. They needed that coach. They needed that camaraderie. Uh, We all know a ton of people out there who maybe the light bulb comes off at a different point. I'd a lot rather the light bulb come on for you after you've graduated from high school, maybe when you're in college or when you're pursuing some form of of a profession. Uh, At some point, you might realize I I bet that you had this crystallizing moment, uh, Tudor. I, I know I did where you're like, man, a lot of the things that I do are expensive. You know, where you're suddenly like, wait a minute, like, you know. <laughs> and having kids is expensive. No doubt. But, you know, you start to realize, hey, you know, going to Chick-fil-A isn't that cheap. Like the money, like recognizing how hard you have to work to have the money to live the lifestyle that you want. Kids have different uh, different realizations that set off at some point. But I feel like those four things, that's what I hammer. And I think the message, what you're asking is, it's one of optimism. Because I feel optimistic if I control my own success. Well, I think you're saying it in a different way than I hear most conservatives saying it. Because you're saying, look, these are goals. If you achieve these goals, you can have a pretty good life. And that's something that the left does really well. It's like, if you do this, doesn't matter what order, it doesn't matter. This could be a really good life for you. We, on the other hand, I've heard too many conservatives who have been lecturing young women, especially like get married young, 
have kids young, put your career on hold, homeschool. That's the best thing you can do. And it's like this cage you put on young women who say, oh, I want to have a career. And, and let's be honest, if you are 40 and you are just entering the workplace, you are not in the same position as every other 40 year old. And so that is a message that I think is driving young women away from the Republican Party. And no matter how many times I, I say this, I feel like I just keep hearing conservatives hammering young women like, you have to do this and find a good, young, conservative Christian man. And I'm like, why aren't you talking to the men out there? Like, when are you going to say to them, hey, step up? Yeah, no, no doubt. Look, I mean, well, 60 percent of people graduating from college are girls. Right. Uh, so there's way more women who are going to be highly educated than there are boys. Right. Um, and uh, and so I think you have a mismatch component that's going on there. The other thing is, I think Republicans have to Well, you're talking about appealing to women. I I think suburban moms are going to decide who is elected president in 2024. 100%. Yeah. Men are going to break the way that they are. They're going to vote Republican as they typically do. Women will break in different ways, but in particular, the toss-up voters are suburban moms. And this book, I'm willing to talk and touch sometimes a third rail. Just to talk about it, abortion. I think Republicans have to be willing to talk about abortion in the wake of Roe v. Wade. Because my theory is that Roe v. Wade getting overturned. Roe v. Wade was like the car that Republicans could run and bark at, uh, the, you know, the dog. What happens when the dog actually catches the car? You know, like the dog. We saw yeah, that. We're in a dog ugly. Car, uh, <laughs> scenario, right? A dog runs through the neighborhood, bark, bark, bark. There's no real consequences. When you grab the bumper, it actually becomes consequential. You get dragged around. You got to figure out what your game plan is. Um, and uh, I actually think that Republicans have done a really poor job. And I think it's going to I'm I, I am I am uh, 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 of the opinion that unless Republicans do a better job on abortion, it's going to decide the 2024 election. Absolutely. They they know it's a winning yeah. message for them. Look at Ohio. Look at what just happened. I lived you through, through went this. Through this it was it, anybody and, because of what they did to you in Michigan over abortion. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. 
I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In Michigan, and we had such an interesting situation because it was on the ballot. So we went out there and said, you know, you can vote for this and you still don't have to vote for Gretchen Whitmer. But they painted our campaign in such a way so early on. And this is where I think that Republicans are also failing. Republicans, and I will call out the supporters of Republicans are like, hey, hey, we'll get there in October. And you're like, what are you talking about? They have a an organization on the ground. They are getting there in in August. So we were getting attacks in the primary before the primary uh, from the Democrats. So they are already defining who you are. And abortion is great because if they can say that you're going to take away a right of women, regardless of whether or not that is considered a right, they have painted it as yeah. that. And so that that is the last, like suburban women will come out all day long and say, no, you're not going to touch the one issue voter yeah. all day long. But they're organized in different ways. I was talking to a, a guy yesterday and he said, yeah, you know, it's interesting business owners have started to have to go to the county commission meetings because there's like these 12 to 15 activists that go there and the county commissioners have been really, they've been really um, twisted up inside over these activists coming in because they, those are the the voice only voices they hear. And even though that is not what the community is, they think that's what the community is because they've got 15 people coming every time. So this is something like Locally, you have to be involved, too, because the Democrats are starting these organizations across the country and they are sending in these loud voices to make it seem like the community has changed. And if you're not there, if you're not present, those people are actually changing policies under your nose that are going to affect your well, life. For people out there, uh, you, you'll know this really well. My wife is from Oakland County, which is uh, just north of Detroit uh, in the state of Michigan. That's the kind of county that will be a bellwether in many ways, right? Because you have a lot of highly educated suburban women. And here's what I, so what would I say, right? I mean, I'm a guy like, uh, abortion to me is not a direct uh, thing that I like would rank as one of the seven or eight things that I think about the most. And I've got three boys, so I don't have teenage daughters that are coming up or anything like that. But a lot of people do. I think you have to say, and look, people, let me say this preface it as I say in the book. You should never agree with 100% of anything that you hear from anyone who's in the public arena, whether it's a politician, whether it's a media guy like me. Um, but my position on this that I believe would win is clearly uh, there are exceptions for rape, life of a mother, incest, all of those things. Like that's a no brainer to me um, personally. And then you uh, say where the line can be drawn is a question for individual states in the wake of Roe v. Wade. And people can debate that politically. That's the benefit of Roe v. Wade being overturned. 
what is radical, and then I think you pivot and say, what is the truth? What is radical is the idea that there should be abortions legal up to the ninth month of pregnancy, right? Uh, Because there's about 10% that believe in no exceptions ever. There's about 10% that believe in nine a month pregnancy. And then most people, uh, nine month pregnancy abortions, most most people are somewhere in the middle, that 80%, right? But I think you have to be direct about exactly what you think. It's really a tough situation because we've got even Mike Pence now coming out and saying, you know, I think that we go to this 15 week federally. And and I think I would tell federal candidates for for U.S. office, for federal office to say, look, I'll stick with the states can decide because why even get into that mix? The states can make that decision, the people in each state and each state is different. And this is a an issue that affects people personally. So I think that going state by state is how it should be. The problem you have is if you've been watching the media, they are totally on the side of the Democrats. We know this. And I think it's really hard to run against the media and every Republican has to do it. And so if you look at the media very cleverly in the last year, they sprinkle every month or every couple of weeks a story about a woman who went to her 20 week ultrasound, got some terrible news, was told she was going to have to carry this baby that would eventually die or something horrible would happen. And, and it twists the heart of women who go, gosh, what if that were me? You know, what if I were in that situation? And this is the, the medical anomaly that happens too often that we can't force women into this. So there's really, it is a real, really hard discussion because people who think this is so cut and dry that you can just go out there and say, well, my belief is this. It's not that cut and dry. And honestly, it's not that cut and dry of a law because you do have exceptions where something medical happens and it is an extreme case. The law can can prevent the the proper care from happening. I mean, it is not a cut and dry issue and they can win on the fact that it's not. Yeah. Cut and, dry. and by the way, speaking of a much less serious media like that, you're going to have to run against. So you held this copy of this book up. This is uh, the number one book selling nonfiction last week. Uh, number two on that's Publishers Weekly, I think. Uh, number two in The Wall Street Journal. Uh, the New York Times didn't put it in the top 15. We. Yeah. No. So we are the number one nonfiction book in America. The New York Times bestsellers, they didn't put us in the top 15. So uh, in terms of the dishonesty that you have to deal with, and some people say, okay, what is the impact of that? Well, uh, I think I make a lot of good arguments in the book. And a lot of bookstores put the New York Times bestseller in the front of the bookstore. So you be like, hey, what am I interested in reading? You probably, if you don't know me, you're probably not going to go to the back of the bookstore and go through some of the new releases and pull this book off the shelf if you don't know who I am. Um, if you uh, if, if they put it up where it should have been, you know, number one overall, you look at it and you're like, oh, why is this book the number one best-selling book in America? This Like, what is this guy saying? What is he doing? What is his argument? Um, and I think that's an example of sort of the, the uneven playing field that we are having to take, uh, take uh, account of in every single major uh, major political campaign, but also just in the war for ideas, right? In the marketplace of ideas that you and I are sitting in, uh, sharing uh, sharing our opinions on every single day. Well, I'm sure that if Joe Biden's de- debate prep had been leaked out in a 
website somewhere. We would hear about it very briefly. No mainstream media would cover it. But as you know, this happened to Ron DeSantis. His his debate prep is out there and it's very detailed. I mean, I honestly I was looking at it and I thought to myself, I could see this being a drinking game next week. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yep. Covered. Yep. He did that one, you know, because it is very detailed. How badly do you think that hurts this debate? Do you think that people are actually going to be saying, oh, well, we saw that he covered these points. Is that going to be a topic? And then you've got Vivek Ramaswamy coming out and saying, hey, you shouldn't have to need debate prep. I'm going in there just knowing what I need to say. How big of a flub is this for the DeSantis campaign? Yeah. So my thing would be like you and I sat down and you're like, I'm going to hit you with issues of the day. And my thing is, okay. Uh, I do three hours every day. If you ask me a question and I'm not ready for it, that's on me. Uh, And I feel like Vivek answering that, too. Like He's on a campaign already. There shouldn't be anything that's raised at the debate that he's not already talking about and prepared for. I think what it does is 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 it plays into the idea that many candidates are not authentic versions of themselves. And so I think when you see a debate, like people say, what would the value be? And I'm curious because you kick Gretchen Whitmer's ass. I watch those debates. What is the value of a debate in general for a voter out there? In my opinion, the value is that you get to see an unscripted version of the candidate talking directly to the public and you get to see a contrast in vision. That would be my argument for why debates make sense. When you see someone who is so overprepared that they don't sound like a normal human, they sound like sort of this AI generated bot that's just trotting out tried and true language that they think is going to respond well. I don't think it plays well in the debate in the same way. And I bet you found this with your show. The things that people respond to, to me, are the things that are the most authentic and honest associated. Um, well, so, let me let me yeah. defend DeSantis a little bit here, because I you know, I know a little bit about how the the things are made back in the kitchen there because I did this myself. And I and it was obviously not on a presidential scale, but on the gubernatorial scale. And and I'd never done it before. And so I do think that there is. I mean, just like if you're going into any meeting, if you were to buy a company, you would do your due diligence and say, yeah. okay, these are the things that are important to us. This is what our, our plan is. This is, and you're saying, you know, this is their, their opportunity to say what they want to do for the country. And so not only does he have to walk in there and be able to execute his plan and say that, but he also has to point out that his opponents don't have the right plan. So I do think that this was, embarrassing that this came out. But I also think that some people can step back and say, hey, if you want this guy to be commander in chief, you better be sure that he is going to be able to take advice from people. There have been complaints that presidents in the past have not been able to take advice. Yeah. If he can step step back and say, hey, I can humble myself and say I need to walk into this debate with some advice from other people who maybe are experts in different areas. I can nail this, but I do think that people are worried that he might be a little too stiff. And I think also you don't want that out there because then it makes not his authentic opinions. It's what he's being told that he needs to say, right, as opposed to what he actually thinks. And uh, I I think I'm curious how you would uh, assess this, but I think what people are most craving for right now is not someone that they agree with on everything. It's just someone that they trust will be honest with them about what they believe, 
right? Because I think yeah. we've been lied to so much that there's just a like I, we put up a poll on uh, on my Twitter feed and said, hey, uh, if you had to vote today for RFK Jr. or Mike Pence, who would you vote for? My audience, 75 percent said RFK Jr. Uh, Pence was vice president a heartbeat away from the presidency just a few years ago. He's clearly a Republican. He's clearly conservative. Why is that? I think a lot of people don't agree with RFK Jr. on everything, but they trust him on the First Amendment. They trust him on COVID-related issues. That obviously matters a lot to my audience. So it didn't surprise me at all that he would smoke uh, uh, Pence, because I think there's more of an establishment versus anti-establishment mindset right now than there is sometimes Republican versus Democrat. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Well, I mean, I think that's why Donald Trump was so popular in 2016. It wasn't because he was a part of the establishment or promising everything. It was like he was just a genuine guy. I do think that that is somewhat of the attraction to Vivek Ramaswamy. He's not a bomb thrower. He's not out there trying to say this person is bad and this person is bad. I mean, here's a guy who one day is rapping to Eminem and the next day he's playing the piano. You know, it's like this is a guy and, and things that I'm telling you consultants would go dude no yeah you can't you can't do this stuff and i think that's why people love him because they're like he's doing the things that you don't see politics he's not careful we are done with careful yeah i think that's i think that's well said i'll give you an example too uh if i were to run for president uh or to run for governor you know the first thing they would say to me you can't have a beard uh because they would like consultants would say that in general and think about how crazy this is that people don't trust men with facial hair as much as they do men without facial hair. And so that's an example. It's like, I'm not going to shave my beard, right? Like, I mean, that, that's like, this is what I look like, for better or worse. Like, I've had this for 20 years now, for a long time. Um, but they would say, like, oh, facial hair is a bad look. You need to take that off if you're going to run for elective office. And think about how crazy that is. There's almost no men with facial hair uh, because a lot of them listen and say, oh, you know what? That's right. I think that's a good example of a vape. Nobody would say, like, hey, get up on the stage at the Iowa fair and do lose yourself acapella basically with a uh, with a mic <laughs> no one would say that ever do but to your point people are going to respond to it because it's anti what consultants would say but it's it's real and if the guy has and i listened i thought it was pretty good i don't know about you i was like uh, i also think that speaks for um a new generation that I think there's lots of Republicans that like 90s rap music, right? Uh, like Dr. Right, exactly. Yes. Those those people you're going to get. And, and it's like, you know, it's funny. It's like a guilty pleasure, too. We There was a, a night in Holland, Michigan, where Jimmy Fela and Kennedy came. And their show is not like Fox News. You know, it's a little bit raunchier. And the people there are super conservatives, right? They were all laughing hysterically. And I think that's the thing. There are times when you just want to let go. You just want to be real. You want to go back to being acceptable to laugh at things. In the book, I argue that Republicans should be the party that likes humor. Uh, you know, like comedy is under attack. The idea that you could go into a comedy club and somebody could make a joke and you could say, oh, we've got to cancel this person for that joke. I think I mean, look. There, there are going to be things that I, I was talking about this. I don't know if you've ever watched the show, but I, my wife and I love the Righteous Gemstones, uh, which is. Uh, <laughs> I was told that you love uh, this. I'm not. I have to watch. It. I love this show. I mean, but it makes fun of. Uh, so I grew up in the South. I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church. And I grew up going to some of these mega churches, but it is a satire in many ways of the large, you know, like uh, Jimmy Swagger, you know, large church style back in the day um, that I grew up going to and understanding and everything else. It doesn't mean there's not a lot of humor there, right? Like you can be religious and also think that sometimes these uh, these big show religious uh, celebrations are also a little bit cheesy and a little bit ridiculous. Like you can have fun with it. Um, and uh, I don't know about the religious faith of anybody on the show, but what I know is like, if you can make me laugh, I will forgive almost any flaw. It's true. Like Right. It's true. It's true. And, and when we stopped feeling that way, that is, I really believe that that's when society started to 
get depressed, mental health issues. Like if you can't laugh, laughter is the best remedy. I mean, how many times have we heard that? I will say one other show that if you are curious about politics or you want to get into it, when I first started running, my campaign manager was like, look, you got to watch the show Veep so you totally understand what you're getting into. And you say that about the beard. One of the... (laughs) One of the first episodes of Veep, she's like, should I wear the glasses? And and, and I think it's Gary is like, oh, no, ma'am. And then her other assistant was like, no, no, that's like a wheelchair for the eye. And and when I started running, they're like, oh, you can't wear your glasses. You've got to get rid of your... And I'm like, are you serious? They're like, no, no, no. You can't wear the glasses. I'm like, okay, I'll just... Let's walk around. We'll see where I get to, you know, but it's so true. Line by line, the funniest I I could, I like, I was in love with that show um, on a, on a daily basis. And I think Jim Stones is similar in that it satirizes instead of politics, obviously large multi, uh, you know, big church uh, lifestyle, but it's, it's, you will love it. It's really, you got to get a few episodes in, but it's very well done. So where is the show? I will watch it. HBO. Okay. The third season, I think. Um, and they film it in Charleston. So they, you know, it's Southern, uh, set in South Carolina, but I, as somebody who grew up in the South in like the big church, like, uh, like lifestyle, um, I just, I, I think it's hysterical, but that's the thing, right? Like be, be the party that likes to laugh, be the party in favor of an expansive first amendment. And I would even tie back the abortion conversation that we had, be the party that says, Hey, you don't have to get the COVID shot. But also the government shouldn't show up knocking on your door if your 14 year old is three, you know, six weeks pregnant, like figuring out what your 14 year old is going to do. I, I, I think Republicans should be the party of freedom by and large. That's what we had always been. And that is, I mean, with school, with everything, it's it should be your choice with business. You should not be. And I think that's a part of the problem with some folks not identifying with the Republican Party right now because they're like, wait a minute, some of you are the party of small government. Some of you are going into private businesses and telling them what to do. Some of you are going into people's houses. I mean, we have to get back to what our identity is. And I think that's what I've heard most of all is like, what are Republicans for anymore? And so I, I call on the folks out there to say, what is the message? I mean, we have these groups that get together. You have the Republican Governors Association. You have the RNC. What is the message that you're putting out? And are you able to get the candidate? I'm not saying that everybody has to have one mindset, but it's nice to know that your party has certain principles that you stand for. A hundred percent. I think that has to be. And I think you and the audience that you speak to uh, is a big part of, I think, evolving the Republican Party to where it needs to go to truly be a party that can win a nationwide popular vote, which is what I think the goal has to be instead of trying to sort of finagle away in the electoral college to, to, to find a tiny margin of victory through the Midwest. Uh, we need to be a party that has a robust pathway to winning comfortably, uh, like happened back in the day of Reagan. Right. Well, well, speaking of things that we want to do for people, before I let you and the audience go, I want to talk to them quickly a little bit about Consumer Tax Advocate. You know that I love putting money back in all of your pockets, and you so deserve that money. We just talked about how expensive things are. So listen, many of you did the tough thing during COVID, and you know who you are. You paid your people, and you pulled your business through this pandemic, and now you doing that tough thing could qualify you for up to $26,000 per employee at covidtaxrelief.org. Government funds are available to reward companies with two or more employees who stayed open during COVID. 
And listen, the best part about this is it's not a loan and you don't have to pay it back. You need this money. We know it. We just talked about it. But this program is complicated and no one knows more about it than the CPAs and tax experts at covidtaxrelief.org. You pay nothing up front. They do all of the hard work and they share a percentage of the cash they get you. Businesses of all types, including nonprofits and churches, can qualify, including those who took PPP loans even if you had an increase in your sales because you did the tough thing for your employees during COVID. Listen, make sure you go to covidtaxrelief.org to help you get up to $26,000 per employee. Again, visit covidtaxrelief.org. That's covidtaxrelief.org. One more time, covidtaxrelief.org. Clay, thank you so much. Make sure before you go, you tell people how they get the American Playbook. It's up everywhere. Amazon, barnesandnoble.com should be in every bookstore out there. Uh, and I hope people enjoy it. The goal is just, it's also, by the way, audio. Uh, my wife said she can't uh, bear to read a book. She just finished law school. So uh, <laughs> an audio book version too, if you like to listen to radio um, and or listen to audio while you work out or whatever else that's out there. Uh, but I hope people enjoy it. You most importantly, keep killing it. I appreciate uh, everybody who's listening to you and uh, hope we've helped to, to build that audience because I, th- I really do believe it's the audience of, uh, of people that are listening to you that will help make the decision uh, for who wins in 2024. I agree. I agree. They are. We have great people out there. I think they're curious. And I think the goal, I mean, the goal for me, and I know the goal for you is always to make people think. So thank you for giving me this opportunity. And thanks for all that you do. Keep killing it. See y'all. Have great weekends. Thanks. And thank you all so much for being here today. For this episode and others, go to the TudorDixonPodcast.com. You can subscribe right there or head over to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and join us next time on the Tudor Dixon Podcast. As always, have a blessed day. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.